The Orthodox Journey, brought to you by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. As we journey towards the Synaxis of the Apostles on this first Sunday after Pentecost, the Orthodox Church celebrates the Sunday of All Saints, a commemoration of all the saints in the Church, the righteous, the prophets, apostles, martyrs, confessors, shepherds and teachers, and holy monastics, both men and women alike, known and unknown, who have been added to the choirs of the saints. This week we're joined by Anna Dimitriou to reflect on the feast. Stefano Stavropoulos will bring us our Saint of the Week. This week it's Saint Luke the Surgeon. And George Passus will touch on the topic of gluttony as we start on the Fast of the Apostles. This is The Orthodox Journey. Sunday of All Saints, with Anna Dimitriou of the Greek Orthodox Ladies' Group. On the first Sunday after Pentecost, we celebrate all the saints of our church. The blood of the God-bearing martyrs, symbolically depicted as the purple and the fine linen in the matins, represents a sacrifice of their life as the first fruit offering of creation to the planter of creation. The entreaties of saints are important because God listens to their petitions on our behalf. Abba Isaiah says that without the saints, we cannot reach God. Why is it that Orthodox Christians believe they cannot go to the Creator directly and reach Him independently of the Church, in contrast to Protestant Christians who, who discredit tradition and favour individual interpretation of the Bible as a way of encountering the Lord. According to our Isaiah, without the saints, we cannot have a personal encounter with our Lord. It is impossible to find God except through the saints because they reveal God to us. They were the ones who found Christ a precious cornerstone and built themselves on Christ as chosen stones. They had a living experience of Christ's love, which gave them the strength to follow his path. When they forgot themselves and became dead to their old way of life, grace allowed them to experience the joy of angels. The witness of their faith softened hardened hearts because they themselves were authentic in their faith. Their love for each other and all people was unconditional and selfless. Only prayer and a holy life would have the power to touch 
heart and hearts. Christ himself spoke of the need of sanctification and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they may be the truth. So many souls were drawn to the faith when so few were mature enough to be able to appreciate the higher truths of Christ's message. St. John Chrysostom says that it would have been impossible if Christ himself had not planted the church. The spread of Christianity throughout the whole world was not a human feat. Humans had bad habits. They were enslaved to sin, and yet Christ managed to free them and us, the whole of creation, from the snares of sin. He did this without using weapons, without mobilizing armies or inciting wars. He did this beginning with 12 apostles, who were insignificant, naked, unarmed. With these lowly fishermen, he managed to convince the nations to think differently, not only in relation to how they lived their life, but also how they saw the next life. He managed to destroy ancestral laws and ancient habits and to plant new ones. He redirected man from striving to live an easy life and choosing a life filled with tribulations and difficulties. And all this while he was being persecuted, while he himself had suffered the most humiliating and degrading death on the cross. After his resurrection, his disciples realized the crucified Christ was not a mere man, but the Son of God. And so with fervent zeal, they spread the word throughout the world and preached the crucified Christ by confessing their faith simply, honestly and humbly. They were believed by kings, commanders, leaders, freemen, servants, educated and illiterate, barbarians and all the nations. And the strange thing is that what happened to Christ also happened to his followers. After their death, they were honoured and revered more than royalty. Thousands of pilgrims travel to venerate martyrs, the tombs of, of martyrs and saints. In Rome, emperors, centurions, powerful army commanders flock to the tombs of Peter, the fisherman, and Paul, the tent maker. In Constantinople, those who wore crowns did not want to be buried near the tombs of the apostles, but at the steps of the cathedrals built in honour of the apostles. So kings became the guardians of the fishermen, and they were not ashamed, but they and their descendants were proud to belong to the Christian faith. Christ had foreseen this when he had said to Peter, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This truly is miraculous because the spread of the church did not come into confrontation only with the ancient habits, but with a pleasurable way of life. Its opponents were habit and pleasure. Those who followed Christianity accepted the new way of life. Fasting replaced feasting. Anger was replaced with meekness. A comfortable life was replaced with a harsh and difficult path. Those who embraced this difficult path had previously been seeped in the old way of life with its bad habits 
and yet they became softer than clay. They were invited to follow Christ and they met resistance from their communities and their own families because faith did not come at the same time to all members. Remarkably, even the newly enlightened did not lose faith, but instead became staunch in suffering, in imprisonment, in exile. And they even thanked their tormentors. And while seeing the blood of martyrs flowing, they were inspired more, even more in their faith. Martyrs throughout the earth, they moved their homes to the heavens and became imitators of Christ's suffering. Their light made earth heaven-like because they imitated Christ in his total submission to the will of the Father. St. Luke writes of the apostles, leaving courts they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. St. John Chrysostom, commenting on the miraculous spread of the early church during the persecutions, points out that the early church was not built with bricks, but with souls, something that is so much harder, because there is no comparison between building a wall and with convincing depraved souls to change their way of life and to abandon their mania and follow the path of virtue. The saints we celebrate today did this with the grace of the Holy Spirit. Like surgery, the Holy Spirit removed human passions and they became healers of mankind, having built the church on Christ, the unshakable foundation. This foundation has survived throughout the centuries despite constant persecutions. In recent history in Russia, before the revolution, many knew the God of the cathedrals of the established church. When they found themselves deprived of their possessions, every comfort, church services, Christian fellowship, then only God remained for them in their total destitution. They discovered they could call on God, the God who was not ashamed to have left his heavenly abode to become one with us. The mystery of our salvation was tied to this ultimate sacrifice of humility by the Son of God himself. This sacrifice was what produced a cloud of saints. Why is it that this God escapes us today? This God who is comprehensible to those who are destitute, alone, reviled and humbled. Why is it that so many people do not know how to find God when there is this cloud of witnesses? How many would find God if we did not conceal him and our zeal was that of the God-bearing confessors of faith who chanted with one voice, God is wondrous in his saints. Let's keep.
Saint Luke the Surgeon with Stephanos Stavropoulos On the 11th of April, our church celebrated Saint Luke the Surgeon, Bishop of Simferopol, who was born in Kirsch, East Crimea, and named Valentine on the 27th of April, 1877. He graduated from the Kiev Academy of Fine Arts, but instead decided to become a physician, specializing in ophthalmology. On the topic of surgery, St. Luke said the following, My pursuing surgery completely satisfied the goal I always had, to serve the poor and the suffering, to dispose all my strength for the comfort of their pains, and to help them in their needs. At a young age, Valentine married a nurse by the name of Anna. Together they were blessed with four children. During his early career, he published many scientific treatises and eventually became the head surgeon and professor of surgery at the hospital in Tashkent in March of 1917. In October, Lenin took over the government and civil war erupted in January of 1919. Unfortunately, soon after this, his wife died of tuberculosis, leaving him a widower of four children. St. Luke was constantly being threatened, especially when treating party members. However, under no circumstances did he ever operate without the icon of the Theotokos. In 1921, at the age of 44, Valentine was ordained a priest. For two years, this exceptional individual was active not only in his pastoral work, but in public and scientific activity. Subsequently, Father Valentine was arrested and put on trial, falsely accused of giving inappropriate surgical care to injured Red Army soldiers. At his trial, in his characteristic, fearless way, he denounced the prosecutor's claims by explaining, I cut people to save them. You, Mr. Public Prosecutor, why do you cut their heads off? As a result, Father Valentine was convicted to 16 years imprisonment. Owing to his advanced virtue and ardent defense of the faith, before being sent into exile, he was tonsured a monk and later elevated to bishop with the name Luke after the evangelist, who was both an iconographer and physician. When he practiced surgery from this point on, he wore his bishop's cassock in the operating room. Throughout his life, he patiently endured tortures and constant humiliation. The people who met him during his ordeals bore witness to his true character. As a physician, he was unmercenary. That is, he never asked for money and treated all his patients with immense love and attention. He shared his patients' pain and anguish. He saw the image of God in each person he encountered. As a bishop, 
He preached continuously about the need to live as true Orthodox Christians. He is credited with 1,250 sermons over 38 years of priesthood and Episcopal service, of which 750 were preserved in 12 volumes. He last liturgized on the Feast of the Nativity of Christ in 1960 and reposed in the Lord on June the 11th, 1961, the day of the commemoration of all saints who shone forth in the land of Russia. Noteworthy of the immense love the people had for St. Luke was during his funeral. The faithful refused to be hurried along by the communist soldiers. The roads were full and cars stopped everywhere. People had climbed on balconies and house rooftops. Such a funeral was a tribute of honor to a man who kept the flame of orthodoxy burning in spite of the Soviets' attack on the church. In November of 1995, St. Luke was canonized by the Ukrainian church. On March 17, 1996, St. Luke's remains were translated, with an estimated 40,000 people taking part. An incredible aroma arose from his relics, and his heart was discovered incorrupt, a testament to the great love he bore towards Christ. St. Luke the Surgeon was a defender of the faith in times when the faith was under siege by an atheistic dictatorship. He defended the truth of Orthodox faith. When confronted by those who denied the plausibility of God, St. Luke simply stated the Orthodox approach to faith, that we do not prove our faith within the limited scope of scientific inquiry, but rather in the grace that dwells within the hearts of those who act in Christian humility and prayer. Indeed, within the field of science, St. Luke excelled, but he saw that its scope was limited to human understanding. God dwells within that scope, but also goes beyond the grasp of human understanding. St. Luke says the following on this, I will say that we too know God by his energies, by the manifestations of his power, by how he acts in our hearts, by the grace that we feel. Not anyone can prove faith. Many have tried to prove that God exists, and many that he does not exist. But never has anyone been able to prove one or the other. Only with a pure heart can one see God. Faith is the most valuable treasure on earth, and we must guard it more than anything else. St. Luke remains a beacon of hope for Christians who are faced with a torrent of doubt that knock against the gates of belief. His words give force to the sacraments of the church as those manifestations of God's being. His apolitikion, a plea for his intercessions, goes, O herald of the way of salvation, confessor and arch-pastor of the Crimean flock, faithful keeper of the traditions of the fathers, unshakable pillar and teacher of orthodoxy, pray unceasingly to Christ our Saviour to grant salvation and strong faith to Orthodox Christians, O holy hierarch Luke, physician wise in God. Amen.
Orthodox Spiritual Reflections with George Passus of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. In the beginning of human history, Adam and Eve sinned by eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There is, of course, nothing sinful in the act of eating. God knows that our bodies need food and he has provided us with the entire world of plants and animals for sustenance. Jesus himself even shared many meals with his disciples and followers whilst he was on this earth. But if we take things too far, if we start loving the food and being addicted to it, if we think of food as not just for sustenance but as a pleasure in itself, then we fall into the danger of gluttony. Although gluttony is a very difficult topic, we will make some brief points regarding it, given the fasting period which begins tomorrow. The starting point is that the Holy Fathers say that control of the stomach is one of the first steps of the spiritual life. Saint Seraphim of Sarov, for example, says that one should not think about the doings of God when their stomach is full. On a full stomach, there can be no vision of the divine mysteries. Saint Seraphim then goes on to say that when our stomach is full, our intellect becomes sluggish. This makes it difficult for us to learn about God, and I am sure that we have all experienced this, brothers and sisters, and realized the difficulty of praying properly after having overeaten. This is just one of the reasons that the Church, in its great wisdom, has appointed fasting. Fasting is not just something for monks, but a medicine given to each of us by the great spiritual doctors that have come before us. Fasting trains us to overcome the danger of gluttony and helps us focus our minds on the mysteries of God. We begin transcending the physical and material world and start perceiving the spiritual realm. Given these benefits, we should all embrace the challenge of the fast that commences tomorrow. This is described as the Apostles' Fast, which starts on the day after All Saints and ends of the feast day of Saints Peter and Paul on 29 June. During this period, we cannot eat meat or dairy but are able to have fish on every day except for Wednesdays and Fridays. Of course, for those suffering from medical conditions and the like, the Church permits flexibility. Regardless of our personal strength, however, we should all have the same goal, to deny ourselves and to avoid overeating and stuffing our bellies. We should see food as a means to the end of sustaining ourselves, and not as an end in itself. This will allow us to begin searching for the deeper meaning of life. For this reason, fasting is also described as a gift from God. And as we hear in a matin service during Lent, Come, O you people, and today let us accept the grace of the fast as a gift from God. May we all have God's strength during this fasting period and for the rest of our lives.
we hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. For more spiritually nourishing talks, podcasts and articles to help you on your journey on the fast of the apostles, visit our website at lyknos.org. That's L-Y-C-H-N-O-S dot O-R-G.